we've been talking about the fear of God, the favor of God, friend of God. So to, today we talk about the discipline of God, the discipline of God. So that's what we'll talk about today. And um, I mean, it's a topic you avoid, eh? Because that's the God we grew up with, this disciplining God. So you want to avoid that. You want to let him be friend and favor and all this stuff. But let's not talk about the discipline of God. So today we decided to talk about it. So, <laughs> guys, discipling or the formation of disciples is impossible without discipline. M- meaning, you can't form disciples unless there is discipline involved. And so, what discipline really does, and we'll talk about it and you'll find out that, oh shucks, this isn't as bad as I thought. So, discipline, uh, see, God's intent, guys, is that you partake in His divine nature. God's intent is that you partake in His divine nature. Let me let me simplify that going back to what we um, learned maybe 10 months ago. We said that our primary call is a call to being. I don't know if you remember that. Our primary call is a call to being, which then made us ask another question, call to being what? And the answer was, call to being like God. That was the answer. And then we came up with this theme for the year, which was world meet God. As in, when you meet me, you should begin to see aspects of the Father in my life. So God's intent always is, I've got to make Jacob look like me. I've got to help him partake in my nature so that others in the world can see what I look like. Because that's what Jesus came to do, right? He came and said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So that's God's intent. So he wants me to partake in his divine nature. But here's what happens. Discipline educates me. Discipline educates me. Discipline educates me and keeps me fit and keeps me fit to participate to participate in uh, or partake in his nature. That's what the end of discipline is. eh? Discipline educates me or keeps me fit to partake in his nature. While at the same time, escaping the corruption of the world. While at the same time, escaping the corruption of the world. Where do we get this from? Go to 2 Peter 1.4 and you'll see it there. Escaping the corruption of the world. I mean, I'm just taking a verse from there and adding discipline to it. So, discipline educates me and keeps me fit to partake in God's nature and to escape the corruption of the world. That's what discipline basically is geared towards. Just remember that. eh? It's important that you remember this. Discipline is not punishment. eh? It's never punishment when it comes to God. Got to remove that idea. You got to separate punishment and penalty from discipline. Because that's what we think. When our parents disciplined us, it was this thing of, ah, shucks, he's going to punish me now, or she's going to punish me now. Or there was a penalty attached to discipline. But when it comes to God, God's intent is, I've got to use discipline in Jacob's life to educate him and keep him fit to partake in my nature and to keep him from the corruption of the world. And there's never any punishment with it, never any penalty. Because whenever there's punishment and penalty, there is fear. And whenever there's fear, there is torment. And whenever there is torment, there is no perfect love. But God loves perfectly. So got to separate those guys. And it's very hard to separate. eh? Some of us are 40, 50 years old. Some of us are younger. And the thing is, at the, <laughs> at the end of the day, we've grown up with this attitude of discipline and punishment go hand in hand and it's got nothing to do with each other. Really nothing to do with each other. So just remember that in the back of your mind. So here's how we can break up discipline. It operates on three main levels, guys. Three levels. So here's what it looks like. One, Discipline is training and instruction. Training and instruction. That's one aspect of discipline. Training and instruction. Two, there's something called 
the discipline of obedience. And we'll touch on that. And three, there's discipline as chastisement. These are the three levels that discipline operates on. One, discipline is training and instruction. Two, discipline is the discipline of obedience. And three, discipline is the discipline of chastisement. As in when you are chastised. What's another word for chastise? We hardly use that word. We go hardly tell our children, Tavis, I'm now going to chastise you. No. What's, the, what's another word for ch- chastise? Pardon? What did she say? Scold. Scold, yeah. Uh, it's a little stronger than scold. But try using it on your kids. Huh? I'm going to chastise you. And they'll think you're going to do some surgical procedure on them. So, these are the three levels it operates at. Strange thing is, guys, even as parents, part of you, those of you who are parents should begin to take this teaching, not for, not just in terms of God and you, but also in how you can deal with your children. Because it operates on these three levels. Where did you guys come out of? Sorry I asked. It's like rabbits out of a hat, man. Yeah, thank God for them. Yeah, look at all the dirt on the ground. I mean, praise God for kids, eh? (laughs) Okay, so... Guys, even as parents, this applies, eh? Where you need to use discipline for training and instruction, you need to use the discipline of obedience, and you need, you need occasionally to use discipline as chastisement. And this is the last resort, strangely. So, uh, when you study discipline, you have to study it in this progression. If you study it any other way, if you, if you change this progression, you might get a twisted understanding of God and a twisted understanding of discipline. Because most of us see discipline as just this. And we immediately superimpose that on the father and he comes out looking really ugly. But this is where he goes when other steps have not worked. And so you have to understand discipline in this progression if you want to have an accurate picture of the Father and of this whole concept of discipline. Any questions before we go on? Yeah, I'm going to explain um, all three. Yeah. Who brought me that water? Derek. Your membership fee just went up, man. Okay. So let's talk about the discipline of obedience first. The discipline of obedience. Guys, the discipline of obedience is when you experience... You ha- How do I put it? Sometimes, guys, what God does is He takes you through an experience where you have to yield to God through times of intense pressure and suffering and he lets the word test you so that you become perfect. Now having said that, let's take an example. Joseph, Psalm 105 verses 17 to 21. And it says, the word of the Lord tested Joseph. His hands were put in fetters, his neck was put in his neck or hands or legs or two parts of the body were put in fetters and he was subjected to a whole lot of pressure till the word of the Lord came to pass. The point being, discipline as obedience is when um, there's a cost exacted or a demand placed on you to see whether your untested obedience can now move to a place of proven obedience. Let me say that again. Discipline in terms of obedience is when God demands of your life a yieldedness to Him as you go through what seems like intense pressure and suffering and yet His intent is I'm going to bring you Jacob from this place of untested obedience to proven obedience. So, go ahead Maurice. Psalm 105 verse 17 to 21. 
where it's experiencing the depths of yieldedness to God through times of intense pressure and suffering. Jesus went through it, eh? Hebrews chapter 5 verses 14 and 15. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5 verses 14 and 15 that Jesus learnt obedience through suffering. And the only way you can learn the discipline of obedience is when you've been given a promise that you're holding on to, knowing that it doesn't matter what I go through, I'm going through this, even if I have to suffer, I will come out on the other side because a promise has been given and it will happen. Another way you go through this discipline of obedience is for the joy that is set before you, where Jesus endured the cross and the shame. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. Everybody who is a Christian goes through this. I mean, your testimonies, your stories here are an example of this. What he spoke about last week, where he talked about God exacting a cost from him and Mariana in terms of having moved here to do what they're doing here, there was a cost that was exacted. There's nobody who can come into maturity without going through the discipline of obedience. Nobody. But what very often happens is we don't like the intense pressure and the demand that's placed on our lives and so we opt out of it. We don't see it through. And so what happens is you still go to heaven, you still are the Father's beloved, but you never come into maturity. This is why I keep saying, if God is putting to death something in your life, die quietly. Don't die screaming. A seed doesn't say, Ah, oh, I'm falling on the ground. Oh, the mud is around me. Squeezing the life. The seed dies. Can you imagine if every seed started screaming? It'd be very noisy, man. But John 12, 24 says, Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it shall not bear fruit. And it will die. It will stay alone. That's what John 12, 24 says. So, Know this, that this will happen in your life. And be grateful for it. Dance with joy when this happens. Because it is the only way you're going to come into any form of maturity. No other way around it. So I have Mariana and, um, what's your name? Jason, come to Vancouver. And are they going through different trials? Great! They're in the right place. Don't show too much sympathy. Are Mark and Rhonda who moved from Quadra Island having a difficult time adjusting? Great! Otherwise you should have stayed there, you shouldn't have come. No one put a gun to anybody's head. But if you're here, then well, learn it because there is something called the discipline of obedience which brings you into maturity. It just changes you, man. Changes you. This is why in John 15 verse 2, I love what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say that every branch that does not bear fruit, I will prune. He says every branch that bears fruit, I will prune. That's what he says. That Jacob, it's so good to see you bearing fruit. Now let me come and prune your branches so that you bear more fruit. And what is the usual way of pruning? With the word. Because later on he says immediately after that, that you are already pruned back by the message or the word I have spoken. So what happens is God will then give you a promise or God will give you a thing in the distance through his word and say, okay, start walking towards this Jacob. And in the process, demands and pressure increase, man. Enjoy it because it's the only way you're going to come into who you are. It's the only way. Jesus went through it. Jesus went through it. He learned obedience through suffering. This is the discipline of obedience. Eh? It's submission to the will of God in the arena of men so that God's plan unfolds. Let me say that again. It is submission to the will of God while you live amongst people. This is not just between God and you. It happens in the context of people. Joseph went through it. David went through it. I mean, what happens the day he's crowned king? He runs as a refugee. What happens to Joseph? He's a prisoner. What happens to Moses? Driven into the backside of the Sinai. There's not a single person in the Bible from the Hebrews chapter 11 who didn't go through the discipline of obedience. Wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. 
It moves you from untested obedience to proven obedience. It moves you from untested obedience to proven obedience. And the process involves intense pressure and suffering. The process involves intense pressure and suffering. It moves you from untested obedience to proven obedience. Abraham had to go through it. And the Bible actually says, and then God tested Abraham. Moving him from Abraham, father of faith. Let me now take you from unproven obedience to untested obedience to proven obedience. And then he became the friend of God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Any questions on that one before we move on? Anything you want to add or disagree with? No, I'm not saying sickness is part of that. I'm not saying sickness is part of that. Is it possible for God to put on us pressure more than we can bear? No. Because in everything we go back to the scriptures, right? Because the scriptures are the final um, authority when it comes to experiences. And the scriptures say he will not test us beyond our ability to bear but with it will give us ways of escape. So that can't happen. Yeah. Thank God for scriptures, eh? Otherwise it'd be guessworking, man. Any other questions? Okay. Let's talk about chastisement then, before we go on to the first one. Chastisement. Chastisement is when, basically Hebrews 12.6 puts it this way. Hebrews 12.6 puts it this way. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. One more time. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Which means Jacob, because he's a son of God, not the son of God, because Jacob is a son of God, it is natural that God will discipline Jacob and will chastise him if Jacob goes beyond a point. This is not automatic. You can be, hey, tell me something. Was Jesus chastised by the Father? No. Sure, our chastisement was put on him. That's a different thing. Was Jesus chastised by the Father? No. Why? He was obedient. This is this is a place you go to. Unfortunately, all of us go there. But this is not who this is not what God starts with. This is where God goes to. Why? Because it's course correction. Chastisement is always course correction. Course correction from what? Course correction from stubbornness. Course correction from unrelenting sin. Yeah. Unrelenting course correction from unrelenting sin. Course correction from the loss of the fear of God. I'll read it again after I'm done. And course correction from destiny destroying uh, choices that we make. So let me say that again. God uses chastisement only when other forms of warning have failed and now you're at a place of such stubbornness that uh, your neck has gone so brittle that if anyone touches it, your head will fall off. That's when course correction comes in. Or course correction happens when there is unrelenting sin. C-O-U-R-S-E, Angela. Yeah. Course correction. (laughs) Anytime. Yeah. And and so uh, uh, stubbornness, unrelenting sin... Thank you, Jacob. I think that's what you said. Loss of the fear of God. That's another thing that happens, eh? Loss of the fear of God. And that happens quite often in New Testament Christianity because we see God as a God of mercy and he keeps, um, we know that he's merciful. We know that he's merciful. And what happens in the process is we lose the fear of God. It's not supposed to be that way. But sometimes mercy does not provoke uh, repentance. It provokes ah. I can get away with this. And then God has to step in with 
chastisement. And the last one is when you, I mean you can add to it, but another reason why chastisement is used is when I am making destiny destroying choices in my life. And God cares so much to see Jacob become all that he needs to become that he steps in with chastisement. But remember what we talked about when we talked about the nature of the father. We said one of the character character attributes of the father is that he engages in anger-free discipline. Anger-free discipline. His discipline or chastisement is never loaded with anger. It's anger-free. And like Wayne shouted out from behind, it actually has the love that a father has for his son in it. So it's, it's just full of a father's love for his son. What makes it so different from our human fathers is that there's no anger in it. Man, there's no anger in it. You know, I've been str- strong with Jason at times, but I've never been angry with him. Never been angry with him. I don't even have a biological father-son relationship with him. But the point being, guys, if Jacob, who's super flawed, can do that with another person, who's made tons of mistakes, which we won't talk about right now. That's another sermon that he'll teach next month. (laughs) The mistakes that my wife and I have made. That's the title of the next sermon. (laughs) But that aside, guys, God's discipline is anger-free. You've got to remember that. It'll make you more comfortable with the Father. At the end of the day, how we view the Father is how we view life and ourselves. So when you suddenly begin to see the Father as, oh shucks, he treats me like a dad treats a son. And his discipline, even though I don't like it because he himself said it isn't pleasant, will never have anger in it. It kind of makes it easier to handle it, guys. Makes it easier to handle it. Chastisement may take different forms. eh? It may take the form of rebuke, like strong rebuke. You read the book of Revelation and you'll see it in Revelation 2.21 where he says, hey, you've been tolerating Jezebel. He says to the church in Thyatira. And he says, you've been tolerating her and I have given her time to repent and she hasn't repented. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put her on a sickbed and any of her followers, I'm going to deal with them harshly too. And suddenly you begin to think, oh shucks, there are different ways that God uh, uses chastisement. It may take the form of rebuke. Here's the thing that sometimes boggles my mind. It may also take the form of affliction. Affliction. Even leading to death. Which we see in 1 Corinthians 11. Where God says, some of you have been so not into keeping the church together. You've been trying to disunite the church and so don't be surprised that some of you are sick and some of you are dead 1st Corinthians 11 verse 30 so sometimes discipline takes the form of affliction and another form of discipline is when human adversaries rise up against you the Bible talks about that when Solomon began to go askew God disciplined him by raising up human adversaries to block him. So those are three ways that uh, ch- chastisement can work itself out. And it always ceases when correction manifests. It always ceases when correction manifests. Guys, here's the thing though. Why not live here? <laughs> Why even go down here? Why not live here? Why come down here? It's possible, but unfortunately we don't seem to get the hang of it. But today we'll only be talking about um, the discipline of training and instruction mainly, just so we we understand that and then we'll um, talk about the other ones in detail later. So today we talk about discipline in the context of instruction and training by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Isn't it awesome that the Holy Spirit calls himself the counselor, the guide, the comforter, the helper? I mean, put all that together and you have an awesome instructor, man. 
And now you see why Psalm 32 verse 8 makes so much sense. Where God says, Jacob, I'll instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And then he goes on to quickly add, since I'm doing that, do not be like a stubborn horse or mule, which needs bit and bridle to bring it back on course. As in C-O-U-R-S-E again. The point being, guys, track. Yeah, track will be easier. So, so, so you see how it works then. I will instruct you with my eye upon you. Training and instruction is one of God's favorite ways of disciplining, man. And why does he do it? As we said earlier, the intent is to conform me to the image of the sun. To conform me to the image of the sun. Hebrews 12.10 puts it this way. God disciplines me for good in order that I may share in his holiness. God disciplines me for good in order that I may share his holiness. God disciplines me so that the fruit of righteousness may be made obvious in me. And again guys, nobody is free of this. eh? 1 Corinthians 9.25, here's what Paul says. Paul says, everyone who competes in the game, and if you're in God, you're in the game. eh? God's playing this amazing game in the universe. It is the only game in the universe that began ages ago and will be concluded. And like it or not, anyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. In the earth, they do it to get a crown that's perishable, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 1 Corinthians 9.25 So enjoy being trained. I know I've said this story before, but just for the sake of the tape, guys, I read this even recently that when they pick horses to pull the queen's um, chariot through this, not chariot, what do you call those thingies now? Carriage. Carriage through the streets of London. They go and go to some of the finest stables in the country. And then they pick these 16 or 20 of the finest horses. And then they bring them to this place where they are sorted out. And they pick about 10 or 12. And after that, these horses are uh, that used to run free now have to learn how to walk properly. They take them through rooms where there's fire and they have them walk through fire that suddenly bursts out of different corners and then they have cannon uh, shots going off on the side they've got guns going off on the side they've got car ex- car backfires going on off on the side they've got loud crowd noises that suddenly erupt in the room and through it all these horses have to learn how to stay still And then after that, they are trained through all this noise to listen to the whisper of the trainer. Not a loud shout, but a whisper. And to distinguish one whisper from another whisper. And then after that, they select six or eight horses that finally have the privilege of pulling the queen's carriage through the streets of London. That is how it is, guys. This thing called training and instruction... It's so vital to end up pulling the king's chariot. It's the only way it happens through discipline, training and instruction. And the other thing it does, eh, in Psalm 94.12, I love the way some versions put it. It says in Psalm 94.12, How blessed the man you train, God. This is how the message puts it. How blessed the man you train, God, the woman you instruct in your word, providing a circle of quiet within the clamor of evil. Providing a circle of quiet within the clamor of evil. As in, as you begin to train and are instructed, you'll find that you have the ability to rest in the midst of a storm. Remember that pilot Scully who landed a plane um, in New York on the river. And one of the things that was said about him over and over again was how calm he was because he had thousands of hours of flying and through all that was happening, and you should be inside a cockpit eh, when, it, when a plane begins to crash, you have all kinds of sounds going off. It is so scary, you want to shut the sounds, but the sounds are meant to do exactly the opposite. And, and through it all, he stays calm and lands the plane on the river and not a single life is lost. 
So one of the things that training and instruction or discipline does is it allows you to live in a circle of quiet in the middle of clamor. Actively begin to ask God, Father, I'm your child, I'm your son, discipline me. What an odd prayer to pray. It's the most frightening prayer all these years of my life. The last thing you want to go tell God is discipline me. And now you're saying, but Father, I'd love it. I'd love to be trained and instructed. Because I want to ultimately pull the chariot through the streets, the chariot of the king. So let's see what we can do. Uh, to make this happen in our lives. First thing guys, training and instruction, training and instruction comes through doctrine. Training and instruction comes through doctrine. As in, let me let me define doctrine for us, at least in terms of how I mean it. Doctrine is the truth, the present truth regarding any set of Christian beliefs. That's how I'm defining it. As in, let's take healing, okay? So, what is the present truth? Not yesterday's truth or uh, truth from a hundred years ago. What has God presently said? You take the hundred years ago and you take what God is saying today and you find out, okay, what is the present truth regarding this or you take salvation. Remember, we knew what it was to be born again, but we didn't know what born again meant. So Christ life, we did this course called Christ life, and Christ life re- showed us what the truth was with regard to salvation. So doctrine is the present truth with regard to any set of beliefs that Christians hold. And so one needs to understand that when it comes to training and instruction, it has to come from the word. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The thing is, guys, most of us don't necessarily read the word every day. And if we do, we don't study it. We just read it. Most of us don't study it. So here's a suggestion that I want to employ and I hope you employ. Try and see if you can work it out this week. Where... Instead of just reading, why don't you pick a book? Or why don't you pick a character? Or why don't you pick a theme? Or why don't you pick a set of beliefs that you need to understand more? Or why don't you pick um, a role um, that someone is playing in the Bible? And then, why don't you study it? When I was in England, I met a guy and I gave him four people to study. Mordecai, Jethro, um, Luke, and uh, Barnabas. Why? Because this guy that I was speaking to is a guy who's just brilliant at coming alongside and helping people build and make things happen. So I said, go study Luke, Jethro, Mordecai and Barnabas. And he didn't even know where Mordecai was. And so he had to go and find out where Mordecai was and then he began to learn. And now he's growing in it because he has his desire to increase. When was the last time you and I actually studied the word to draw out doctrine that will help solidify beliefs that we have? Because we just read through, right? Time to move into greater things than just reading through. We started that when we were seven. Begin to study. Any questions on that before we go on? As much as possible, attend teleos. Don't worry about the money if there's, if you don't um, at present uh, have the money to pay. Forget it. Attend it. Some of the stuff we are teaching at teleos is so brilliant that it will change the way you function. Attend. Acts 29 should have the rich privilege of attending regardless of whether we have the ability to pay for it or not. Because, hey, this is a bread for the children. Surely we can eat it. I'd so welcome you. Even if you want to come this Wednesday, turn up, man. Because each each part of the course can stand on its own. That's a suggestion. We've got 15 minutes more. Guys, um, the next thing is training and instruction. So the, the first point is training and instruction comes through the word. Second, training and instruction 
comes through restraint. Training and instruction comes through restraint, rebuke, and correction. Training and instruction come through restraint, rebuke, and correction. First Thessalonians 5.12 says this. First Thessalonians 5.12. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. One of my responsibilities is to make sure that I admonish you, as in correct you, rebuke you. And if you shy away from it, or begin to build a defense, then there's nothing I can do, man. Nothing I can do. So that's one of the things we have to learn. That rebuke, restraint and correction happens in the context of the body. And some of the elders and the equipers that are appointed are meant to do that. That's one scripture. The next scripture says in Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is where the body now begins to function in a way where sin is no longer mind your own business. Where sin now becomes an issue that even the body begins to confront. Not to find out faults, but now the body begins to function in a way that begins to correct and if necessary rebuke. But follows an order or a process. Can you imagine why we get away with what we get away in church? Because sin is our own private business. And there's no rebuke, correction or admonishing within the context of the body. But how can you function without that, man? What if your children never had restraint, rebuke or correction in the body? This question may be running through your mind and I hope it's not. So Jacob, who does that to you? Oh man, you have no idea. I get enough of it. Anything I am today is because of people who had the guts to speak into my life. And my greatest advantage is I open my life to people to correct. It was not an advantage till about 15 or 16 years ago. But my greatest advantage is I've opened my life to people to correct. And they correct me. Proverbs 18.1, I've quoted it here before, but I want to quote it again. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. This is from the ESV. The NIV says it differently. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and he breaks out against all sound judgment. Let me put it this way, guys. A closed life is a recipe for stagnation, dulled vision and error. A closed life is a recipe for stagnation, dull vision and error. Let me say that again. A closed life is a recipe for stagnation, dulled vision and error. Doesn't matter who you are. eh? Tomorrow if I close my life off to you and to others who have the audacity to speak into my life, here's what will happen to me. One, I'll begin to stagnate. Two, my vision will dull. And three, I will go into error. I'm seeing it, eh? I sit with some people who are much better than me, but who think just by themselves and do not go to others to bounce things off. And they are already beginning to go into error. I'm talking about people who are really mighty in God. That's the scariest thing. The mightier you get in God, the more you isolate yourself. Or you get yes men around you who will agree with everything you say. This is why we should never lose this aspect of giving time to question what is being preached even while we are preaching it. And you should challenge um, concepts if you think they are in error. One of the nicest things that happened in Acts 29 without even planning it is we, during all these questions times, in the last seven years, you've never raised a question to diminish me or find fault with me or to reduce me to something less. All your questions have been from a place of, I need to find out more. And it just happened naturally. eh? 
The reason you can't try this in some churches is because the intent will be, let me show how foolish the pastor is. But you've never done that here. I salute you for that. But maybe never lose out on these things, eh? So restraint, rebuke and correction has to happen within the context of the body and you must, if you want to be trained and instructed into maturity, allow me to correct you, admonish you, rebuke you and um, open your life to that. I think I've said this before. I remember meeting with him in the food court in Lansdowne. And uh, he would come and sit with me. Now we've spent about four months together. And he and I would talk. And one day I went to him and I said to him, Listen, Jason, you are not really opening your life up. You, you say the right things and we talk about some godly things and then that's it. But you aren't opening your life. And so I said to him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home right now. Let's not talk today. But if you don't want to open your life and learn, then don't waste my time. So come back next week and tell me if you want to take this further. I was hoping he'd come back. <laughs> and praise God that he did, eh? But my question to you is, if I came and said that to you, would you be offended or would you have the ability to respond like him? Regardless of how old you are or what your gender is, if I came and said that to you, and I'd say it differently to I would never dare say, dare say that to her, eh? Because different folks need different strokes. So you don't use the same measure with everybody. But if I came and said the same thing to you in a different way, how would you respond? Would you be offended or would you continue to be open? Yeah, just a thought. Just a thought. Moving on. Training and instruction comes through checks or warning. Training or instruction comes through checks or warnings. As in, God says, Jacob, don't be like a horse or a mule that's stubborn who needs bitten bridle to bring them back on track. You know, when God wants to warn you, the warning is very clear. Eh? You don't have to be an expert in hearing to hear warning. It's very clear. Heeding the voice of God through repeated warnings, sometimes through a message, sometimes through a dream, sometimes through a Holy Spirit check, sometimes through God blocking your path. Let me give you an incident. <laughs> I know it's wrong to text while I'm driving. I've known that for a year and a half. But I would. Silence in the gallery. And so, so I would just pick up the phone and a quick yep or a nope because uh, I wanted to stay within reason of disobedience. You don't want to be outright disobedient. So you can send four letter words and stuff like that. So it would be K or yep or nope. <laughs> so I would be doing that and, I, and the Lord kept saying, don't Jacob, don't. Uh, people would tell me, hey, that's not a good idea. But I would just afford the luxury of breaking this law. And then I remember one day there were two occasions when while I was texting, I missed the car in front by two or three inches. I mean, it was the grace of God. And I, I knew what the Lord was saying. And I would actually respond saying, Father, I get the message, I get the message, I won't do it again. And I kept doing that. And then, um, didn't change. And look at the irony of it. I get my new iPhone 6. And I go to pick it up. And... I've got a backup camera and the works. It's a really nice car. And yet, as I pick my iPhone 6 and I'm reversing, I go hit a pole that breaks my lamp. And I'm thinking to myself, Father, I'm so sorry I wasn't getting this. You kept telling me multiple times. And here I'm so thrilled about my iPhone phone. Now I've got the phone in my hand and instead of putting... I remember telling the Lord, Father... I'm so sorry that I had to pay to learn this lesson. Because it was a blooming light. It just broke. But you know how blooming lights are expensive. And so I remember going and fixing it. And I remember telling the Lord, Oh, by the way, my name is Jason, just for the tape. Yeah. <laughs> and so I remember telling the Lord, Father, I don't know why sometimes I take so long to learn. And since then, the habit stopped. But the point is, why did I have to be as stubborn as a mule? I mean, my name is not Pat Mulekill, but that's an inside joke. So don't worry about that one. <laughs> so the point being, guys, sometimes God sends warnings, checks, blocks, and we just don't hear. 
I love how um, Paul negotiated uh, with the Holy Spirit, not negotiated his pathway in Acts chapter 16, 6. So it says, and so Paul uh, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And then when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. The Holy Spirit is so active in checking us from going a certain route, and it is easy to hear Him. You don't have to be quiet or go into a zone or pray. When He wants, it's super easy to hear, man. Everybody here can hear. Even little kids can, because God knows how to do that. So training and instruction come through check or warning. And the final one is training and instruction come through diligent practice of the word. Diligent practice of the word. As in the first thing we talked about was training and instruction come through doctrine as in learning truths. Learning truths from the word. Learning truths from the word. Now we are talking about diligently practicing them. Let me put it this way, guys. Whatever God shows you in Scripture, you must experience in life. Whatever God shows you in Scripture, you must experience in life. Whatever God shows you in Scripture, you must experience in life. That is a connect. If I only am shown things in Scripture and they don't spill over eventually into my life, then I'm like the guy who looked in the mirror, walked away with an impression that I was really handsome, but perhaps I'm not. So, just make sure that there's a diligent practice of the word. Eh? In First um, Corinthians 9.27, Paul puts it this way, I discipline my body and keep it under control, pummeling it to make it my slave. Gosh man, hard words. I discipline my body by keeping it under control, by beating it or pummeling it to make it my slave. So take things into custody eh, as you go into 2015. Take things into custody. Make a decision. Make a decision. Hey, on one hand, there's God's sovereign power to help you. And on the other hand, there's your responsibility. God gave me lungs and a respiratory system that's working well. But I can, I mean, have you ever had kids who threatened to stop breathing? You never had a child like that, eh? I've seen children do that. If I don't get that, I'm going to stop breathing. And they try to hold their breath and it never works. So you, parents don't have to worry about that one. It never works. So don't get scared by that one. But the point I'm trying to make, which has nothing to do with what I just said, is that God has given me lungs and a respiratory system, but it's up to me to breathe, inhale and exhale. That is my responsibility. And so it's like that when it comes to the word and practicing it and taking into custody the things that I have to. God is saying, Jacob, I've got all my power and grace ready for you. I will do it but you have to submit your will and agree. One of the things I was hoping I could challenge you to do on your sheets of paper is write down one area just one area that is making a resurgence in your life and you don't want it to. If you're sitting next to your spouse shield the paper away. So is there anything that's making a resurgence in your life? Is there anything that's hindering you? Is there anything that's shortening your usefulness? Is there anything that's shortening your life perhaps? Because you're going back into an area that you shouldn't go back into. Write it down. Put into practice the word. Saying, this thing shall not rise in me again. I'm putting an end to this thing. Six, seven, eight, nine years I've been like this. 2015, I will not continue with this habit. I do not know how to break it. You alone, oh God, have the power to do it. But I'm coming and saying... Please do it. Your sovereign power now mixing with my responsible will saying, Oh God, please do. Discipline me, oh God, as in train and instruct me so that I change. Sure, I've carried it as part of my personality saying, This is just me. But this is not necessarily the best part of my personality. So change my personality. That's an excuse we often hide behind it. This is just my personality. Well, I've got news for you. Not all parts of your personality are um, good. Half your personality is defective. And so is mine. We can't hide behind, this is just me, this is the way I've grown up. Well, time to change, isn't it? 
And who will notice it first? Your spouse and your children. And your dog and your cat. They'll notice it first. And then the rest of us will begin to notice it. At the end of the year, guys, if you really undergo discipline or training at the hand of the Holy Spirit, there will be visible evidence. At the end of the year, if you really undergo discipline and training under the gracious, wonderful counselor, helper, comforter, guide hand of the Holy Spirit, there will be visible evidence. That's the measure of your faithfulness through the process. Eh? So, I'm, I, I, when I was doing these notes, I wrote down a certain habit in me that I want to change. That's just been with me for so long. That's uh, done harm to me, to people. I want that to change. And so I've written it down. The other thing I want to change is the way I study the Bible. I don't want to study the Bible the way I'm doing I'm reading through it, I'm preparing notes, uh, I teach well. But I want to study the Bible in a whole different way. I want to start afresh. I want to, want to grasp truths about things that God wants us to step into. I want to have a future perspective. Otherwise you guys will not go further because Jacob won't go further. Got to change all this, guys. I'm looking forward to 2015 and I want to start tomorrow. Why not today? Okay, today. Any questions, comments, disagreements, challenges? Anything you want to add or subtract? Anything you don't agree with? Anything you want to add? Don't want to add anything? No insights that you want to add? This is true. I didn't understand. Can you rephrase it? Yeah, you can get a get out. You you can turn the tape off, Wayne. Um, you can get a get out of jail free card, but all that gets you is out of 